Welcome to our second episode of Cancelled Comics Calvacast. We have Ed Moore. Howdy. Kirk Spencer. Hello. And your host, I know I'm not going to say I got the most, but I am Joe Crawford. Uh, and we are going to be talking today about the sometime maligned, but I think within the three of us, much beloved Youngblood series that was created by Rob Liefeld, or as our buddy Chris Sheehan would say, Rob Liefeld. So, uh, <laughs> what is your first experience, guys, with Youngblood? Ed? Um, I was waiting with bated breath at my comic shop where I was living for each of the image books to come out when they came out. So I was... I was there in the summer of 19 or the fall. No, I think it was the summer of 1992 as they came out, grabbing them just as quick as I could. What about you, Kirk? I was anxiously anticipating it. I was already a fan of Rob's and buying most of the Malibu line. And I remember House Ads saying, you know, coming soon. And I, I couldn't wait. So when you say you're a fan of Rob's, what had you read previously? Was it the Marvel stuff or the DC or both? Well, I had read the Hulk and Dove series and enjoyed it. And then he got me to start buying New Mutants. And you know I don't buy a lot of the X books. Right. But there, there's just something about his art that was exciting to me. And Cable looked really cool. And so I started buying New Mutants and then into X-Force and... Went back and picked up some of his other work for Marvel and just kind of stuck with him through his career now, I guess. So, Ed, were you a, or an early adapter to Rob or had you been there from the get go? Yes, I was. I was probably a uh, not probably. Uh, actually, I know what I was at the time. Uh, <laughs> let me rephrase that. Um, I, I was a, a definite Marvel zombie. Okay. So. Um, all of the image guys, I was huge fans of their Marvel work. And so, you know, of course, when word started breaking that they had left and they were starting their own things. And then when we started getting those, you know, little previews of what would we could expect, I was yeah, I was I was all into image. Um, and as a matter of fact, image, um, you, you guys had already thrown out mention of, of Malibu. The connection of image is what we got me into Malibu. I, I hadn't really paid any attention to the Malibu stuff, so oh sure, I, I went I went that way from image to Malibu rather than the other way. Now, were you um, getting any of the? This is a little side off, but you know we talk about stuff that don't exist anymore on this show, so it, it fits with the overall theme. Did you get stuff from like Adventure or? Eternity or any of the other companies that were kind of owned eventually by Malibu was the air cell. There was a bunch of those little companies that got bought up. Not, not until after. Okay. Um, at okay. The time that they were active. No, the really the only, the, the farthest I really got from Marvel and, and DC was Kamiko. Okay. Um, yeah. And then image. And then actually once image, um, I, I saw what was possible there. That made me open my eyes. And plus, about the time Image was coming out was when I really had my first access to a, a real comic book shop. Okay. And that was actually them, what I was going to ask. Yeah. Yeah. Through them, I was exposed to comic shop news and previews. Okay. And so that just, you know, that was a whole, 
whole world to me that I thought existed, but I really didn't know how to to get into it. Gotcha. I think some of my earliest exposure to uh, the properties that were owned under that umbrella and, you know, they probably were the first two weren't actually owned by Malibu at that point um, was the adventurers. Uh, I remember it was Eagle or American or somebody just really pushed those like these are hot books, you know, make sure you get the alternate cover with the skeleton on it and that sort of a thing. And so I had a handful of those from uh, New England Comics. Okay. And and then uh, the Planet of the Apes property hit Adventure Comics, which I think by that point was uh, owned by Malibu. And I, I did get some of the ape books that they did. I did. I think it was Ape City and Planet of the Apes. But oh. other than that, I, I don't even know if I knew what Malibu was until Ultraverse hit because I was late to the image tidal wave. We didn't have a comic book store. And for the most part, unless I knew the property like the apes scenario or it was something that I had some kind of tie to like Solar or Magnus from when I was very, very little, remembering the last handful of Whitmans that came out. Right. I, I kind of missed the boat on the, on the image books. So before we leave this behind, Kirk, did you get much Eternity or Air Cell or any of those? Oh, yeah, I was buying a bunch of them. I you know, in the 80s, I started doing a lot more mail order, especially with New England Comics, and they would put out a newsletter of what was coming up. And I didn't right. I hadn't I don't know if I had seen a previews or there's the rival advanced comics catalogs yet. But that New England catalog and the occasional mile high futures were just godsends and going, oh, I got to get this. And, oh, I, I need to get that. And, oh, my gosh, this guy's doing this book. I'm going to need that one. And so I was putting in little orders and the as a collector on a limited budget as a kid, the black and white boom went bust pretty quick, relatively speaking. And so right. a lot of these places were offering, hey, you know, here's 50 books for ten dollars. You know, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I was discovering just worlds of stuff with these bundle deals. I remember responding to an ad probably in Comics Buyer's Guide, where if you bought pounds of black and white books, you got a Marvel Star Wars number one free. So basically, <laughs> basically, you paid for the Star Wars, and you got the black and white books free. But, of course, that's not the way the ad was worded. Now you've given me another reason to want a time machine. No doubt. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, it wasn't worth – I think maybe it was a $20, $25 book at the time or something. Right. But at the time, you know, as a kid, I, even then, I was like, man, that's a great deal. And right. People are, and I was not very investment-minded. But even then, I was like, I think Star Wars is going to last forever. Everybody loves Star Wars. You know? <laughs> I And, you know, that's how some of the weirdo black and white ones that I do have – um not the adventures, because like I say, I specifically ordered them because it was one of those that would pop up as a, the hot issue. But like Fat Ninja, um, Neil the Horse. Um, yeah. My attempt to buy Omaha the Cat Dancer that it was not successful. You know, <laughs> trying to get those from Mile High because they would have those uh, 50 cent yellow pages in yeah. the middle of 
the Marvel and DC books and I'd be like, oh, Fat Ninja. I like ninjas. This sounds fun. And, you know, I would order a handful of those, you know, not crazy, maybe five dollars worth of 50 cent books that I hadn't heard of. And that's how, you know, I had the breakdancing issue of Neil the Horse and how I had a random issue of, you know, Samurai from Air Sale or something. But, yeah. It was fun times when, uh, not fun for the creators, obviously, uh, when they, right. they went bust, but yeah, fun time as a collector when you could find the kind of stuff that was interesting, super cheap instead of like, gosh, what was the cover price on those? Probably a buck fifty, which would have been yeah, pricey. Most, most in of the indie books were at least a dollar fifty. I remember yeah. it was, you know, it was groundbreaking mm-hmm. when Eclipse put out those 50 cent bi weekly comics. Right. You know, Air, Airboy and New Wave. I was like, 50 cents? <laughs> And they're super thin, too. Well, you know, looking back, I can see how they cut the cost to get it down to that price point. Right. But as a kid, you're like, I can afford that and, you know, my regular books. Right. Because a lot of these indie books, if I did see them on the stands, I was, you know, you had to be really picky about which one you picked up that month because – it was yeah. usually at least twice what a Marvel or DC cost. And I was going to say, yeah, you get one of those and you're putting back Spidey and uh, your Superman that month. So, well, let's get into it, guys. So, basically, we're going to be talking about Youngblood. This was pretty much the first book that Image launched in 1992. The characters that uh, Rob came up with date back to the mid-80s, and he was doing some work for uh, Megaton Comics. And he did kind of like a who's who style page for one of their books, uh, Megaton Comics Explosion, number one. And I, I put that up on my Twitter page if you if anybody wants to see what it looks like. And if I can re- find a way to use it for the cover art, I may have it on this episode as well. But um, so he created those characters. They've been around for a while. And he had a pretty good relationship, he thought, with Marvel. And then in 1991, he really wanted to do some indie work. And so he'd been talking to the folks at Malibu, and he basically put out an ad for an upcoming book he was going to do called Executioners. Well, the problem was he did X-Cutioners, and since he was kind of a part of the Marvel X-Men family, they didn't take too kindly to that. And they basically said, you're not going to do this book. You're going to be fired. Bob Harris who I think, funnily enough, any Rob story I've ever heard about Bob Harris, he actually has a pretty good working relationship with him, um, from what I've understood, both, you know, then at Marvel and later at DC, said, you know, you do this, you're out of here. So that kind of started to put him on trembly ground with uh, Marvel, and then you get to the point where, you know, the image split, and you get the creation of Youngblood. So, before we dive into the books, anybody want to add any other memories of what it was like in the comics industry before Youngblood hit? No. All right. Just an exciting time, you know. Yeah. These these creators were rock stars at the time. Books were selling incredible numbers, numbers that, with one cover. Right. and, And... You know, now you're getting five covers and it's half the print run of what one of these low selling books would have been. Or you get like what we're about to talk about. You get two covers, but it's the same issue. Right. (laughs) Right. Yeah. I would say that if you're super interested in the formation of image and in-depth discussion about it, you can check out Rob's podcast. He does a good job talking about it on there. 
Um, I would also say there was a, a really good episode uh, about the issue we're uh, going to cover first because we're going to cover the initial mini that Rob did of Youngblood. Uh, Chris and Reggie's Cosmic Treadmill uh, did an episode that covered Youngblood that was really good. So if you want more in-depth coverage of that, you could check that out. Um, the only other thing I guess I'll bring up before we start is apparently Rob doesn't even own these characters anymore, and he hasn't owned them since the 90s, which I thought was crazy, and they're owned by Andrew Rev of Terrific Production. So even that last round of Youngblood we got from Chad, uh, Chad Bowers and Rob, he didn't even own it at that point, so... I don't know when and if we're going to get to see Youngblood again. I don't know how I, that – go ahead. I don't Sorry. think that was public knowledge until Rev basically uh, went on Twitter and Rob, and Rob was like, I'm never working with you. So, uh, And I think that's when we found out, wasn't it? Yeah, I, I guess it, it came out in August of uh, 2019 is what the article I saw said. So, yeah, it's, it was not common knowledge from what I can tell. What – what I find interesting is to hear Rob talk on his podcast. I can't imagine what his situation was that prompted him to sell the property in the 90s. I can't either. And he still owns some of them like he owns Profit, you know, right. and Profit shows up in the Youngblood number two. So I don't I don't know how that works. Yeah. Well, what I, just, I had heard was he had had trouble financial troubles with some of his other follow-up companies, you know, uh, awesome comics or some, one of the other groups and okay. maybe it looked for an investor to keep that afloat. And then I guess when it failed, the investor got to keep the property. Yeah, but I don't know. I, I don't know how accurate that is, but it seemed plausible as far as how that would have played out. Cause just selling out a property while you're still publishing things seemed right. a little bit crazy. Well, I think, you know, they were doing what they could to be with the times, but I think some of it, they were starting to get left behind a little bit. I was looking at a brigade today, and it said that, you know, this issue of, I don't remember the book, was it Sisters of Mercy, has the first appearance of Ricky Rocket from Poison. And I'm thinking, 1995, that's kind of past Poison's heyday. I don't, that'd be like if you put Steven Tyler in an issue of Shadow Man today, right. you know? I think so they I think they were at the point he was probably throwing a lot of stuff at the wall and maybe some of it wasn't sticking anymore at that point because we were and he got the license for Battlestar Galactica and six million dollar man at a time when most people probably didn't care. It had been off the air just long enough where people didn't care anymore and not long enough where the nostalgia had kicked in. Right. Yeah, it was definitely pre the the big nostalgia. Oh gosh, when was that boom? It was either late nineties or early aughts where it was you know Micronauts were back and He Man was back and right. Battle of the Planets were back and yeah that Battlestar definitely predated it and I don't feel like he got more than a handful of pages out of that six million dollar man. I feel like it was only in like maybe one of the anthology anthology. Yeah, it issues. was in one of his anthology books and I don't yeah Asylum maybe yeah it was Asylum yep. Yeah, so, and it was like yeah. 2002 when G.I. Joe came back with Devil's Due. Right. So, you know, he he was ahead of his time, I guess, with that. If yeah. he had just waited a few more years, he probably could have cashed in a lot bigger. Right. 
All right, guys, let's get started. So this is one thing I was talking to Ed and Kirk about. Most people, when you pick up Youngblood, number one, it came out, at least cover dated anyway, 1992, uh, from Malibu and Image. So basically at this point, uh, Image was publishing through Malibu. You've got two covers. You've got the more famous of the covers where Chapel is in the eye, and you've got what I would call the the regular Youngblood team on the front. It says, first exciting issue. You flip it, and you've got the Sentinel team, which would basically be, if I remember it right, that becomes Team Youngblood. And that says, first explosive issue. So the way we're going to do it, I think most people usually read the more famous cover first. And I'm going to start actually the other way, because uh, I feel like the events-wise, the, the first part actually comes on the cover that's got Sentinel on. So what we've got here is a Rob Layfield, plot, pencils, and inks, dialogue is Hank Canals, color design is Brian Murray, color separations is Digital Chameleon. And I'm assuming Digital Chameleon is, is you know, the excuse that was used for years for Marvel buying out Malibu uh, because that was, you know, the coloring that uh, – Really sold, I think, the image guys on going to Malibu as well. So, splash page intro of Youngblood 1. We've got this report going on about this fella named Hassan Kassain and a crusade that's going on. And basically, the team Youngblood is going in there to take care of business. So, they have a drop, and you see lots of different kind of soldiers in like mech suits and you've got, I can't even remember everybody's name. So I'll just do the best I can. So we've got Sentinel and they're going out to attack Hassan's troops and they land, they get into a fight. You've got the giant fella. I believe his name is combat. He's kind of got these, uh, larger than life shoulder pads. He's got big metallic helmet on and they're doing kind of almost like a cannonball special where he – what's the name of the wolf fella? I can't even remember his name. Is it Cougar? Cougar. Yeah. So he tosses Cougar kind of like cannonball style into the fray. And yeah. Sentinel's coming up behind. And then we have the rest of the team introduced. We've got Brahma, uh, Sci-Fire, and what is her name? Is it Riptide? Yes. Yeah, Riptide coming in. And I, I do like the comment, that the fact that they're out in the Middle East and uh, Riptide's like, okay, guys, lay off. This is really hard to come up with all this water in the in the desert. So that was – I don't remember who we were talking about that with at one point. Uh, like, how does Iceman come up with ice? Does he, like, turn moisture? Was it when we were talking about elementals? I think it was yeah, when we were talking that's... about elementals. So basically, at least the way her power works anyway, is she actually does have to have moisture to create the giant waves that she's doing. So this is really straightforward. These guys are on a mission. They're coming to take this guy out. They go through a ton of soldiers. They get to him. Uh, the the Link, uh, I want to call him Link because I feel like he's called Link elsewhere. Do, do you remember if he, he has his name change? The Zero issue, they refer to, I assume, the same character as Link. Okay. And here, he's called Sci-Fire, so I okay. don't know 
it, it could be a different character, but it looked like the same one to me. Yeah, it looked like the same person in the same power structure. Okay, we'll just call him, we'll call him Sci-Fire. So he's, he's taken over, uh, Hassan and he's gonna basically get rid of the guy and he, he goes into the man's brain and you see like these panels of like energy coming out of his head to show that Sci-Fire is inside of his head. And everybody walks up and they're like, ooh, that's disgusting. So all I can assume is he's exploded the man's skull. Right. Um, and they're both, like I say, everybody comes in the room, combat's like, that's gross. Uh, or actually, combat's impressed. Everybody else is grossed out. So <laughs> then you flip the page, USA Today, Hussein's terror ends in suicide. So. Needless to say, Team Youngblood was successful. They took out this fellow. So then we'll flip it to the more famous side where we're going to be talking about Shaft and Company. And this side's going to have uh, Bedrock, uh, Chapel, Vogue, Die Hard, and Shaft. And so it starts, they're kind of out in this plaza in Washington, D.C. The, the basic premise from what I can understand, and I thought this was really clever, uh, I think Marvel kind of took it later on with um was it new warriors right before civil war they were kind of reality tv stars and you know they were there to uh make an episode or what have you when the big explosion that caused civil war happened so we kind of got early i think ideas for this sort of thing these are going to be attractive looking people Put into spandex, and we'll see that in issue zero, to look good and to go out and be public faces to fight terrorism or what have you. And so it was it was just kind of that idea ahead of time that we've got a whole team of people who are going to be celebrities as much as they're going to be superheroes. And um, I feel like they did that with one of the Marvel series, uh, too, that was the X-Men. Um, was it ecstatic? Was that kind of their shtick, too? Yeah, celebrities as much as anything. And I I feel like that's that's kind of where this really got started. And I don't know that Rob gets enough credit for coming up with that, because I think that was ahead of his time, because that's that's very I think would be a common idea. Like, oh, yeah, sure. They're like celebrities for like social media or what have you. Anyway, so they're in a plaza in D.C. Shaft is walking along and this guy pulls a gun and he throws a pin, and he, he basically impales the guy, knocks him off a ledge, and everybody's super impressed. They're like, wow, you did that. You didn't even have an arrow. Uh, he sends out the call, and everybody has to gather together young blood. Uh, Bedrock, as he is called at the time, lettered to be Bedrock, is eating breakfast with his mom, because even though he looks like a full-grown version of the thing or what have you he is actually just a kid so he leaves his be- his uh breakfast aside and he runs out the door and then we see die hard die hard of course is i don't know if he's just a straight robot or a cyborg i can't remember but um he's charging he gets the call he heads out chapel has just an enjoyed an evening with a young lady and as it says here young blood membership has its privileges 
and duty calls. He leaves her <laughs> and heads out. Duty calls or booty calls? Well, the booty called and now duty called. So he, he, he's done with one and moving on to the other. He's got he's got a, one of these obscenely giant guns, and he's on his way for the Young Blood meeting. Last we've got uh, what's her name again? Is it Vogue? Vogue. Yeah, Vogue. And they are headed to Youngblood headquarters. So, I love this picture. It shows everybody. You've got Shaft, Vogue, Die Hard, Bad Rock, and Chapel sitting on his bike just randomly in the middle of the building. I just love the fact that every time you see Chapel from here on out, pretty much his, his motorcycle is going to be involved. So, there's a breakout. They're going to go take care of it. And this breakout involves, um, what's this fellow's name? I can't remember. He's a big, strong guy. Um, strong arm? Yeah, strong arm. He's kind of like a version of like Juggernaut with no helmet or something. And then you've got this other guy on the next page. Uh, he is kind of got, I don't know exactly how to describe him. It's almost like a cross between Logan and some other kind of character. He's got a very Wolverine-esque mask. But anyway, this is a big breakout. And these guys are, on their way to be escaping, Youngblood comes in, and first off, Die Hard knocks out the fella, uh, strong arm. And then you've got this gorgeous splash page. You've got Bedrock, Shaft, Vogue, and Chapel on the ever-present bike. And that's it. So, got a breakout, get suspended. And I'm assuming we're going to be hearing more from uh, the uh, story in just a second from Ed. But the one thing I do want to talk about before I turn it over... There is a fun little ad in the middle. Rob Liefeld fans, are you a fan of his work? Do you want to get up to the minute news on what he's doing and when he's appearing? Would you like to see previews of special projects and enter contests to win original artwork? Then you need to join the fan club. And I can't believe how cheap his fan club was. It was $3.50 and a dollar postage and handling. Right now, the $3.50 wouldn't even cover the postage and handling. But uh, a fan club for Rob right off the bat, issue number one. So there you go. Youngblood number one. Now, what is uh, everybody's in, initial reactions to when you, you read that first issue? What did you think? I thought it was awesome. It was it was 100% Rob Liefeld. And right. that's, that's what I was there for. So... I, it it was cool. I I don't know if I said this part about my experience with Youngblood. I don't think I did. I did not read this until an, an image first many, many years ago when they started doing those uh, – uh, many, many years after and many years ago at this point when they started doing the dollar reprints. So the first time I read this was probably in the mid-aughts and – um. Yeah, I just remember going like, this is really cool. What what did I miss? And then, you know, tracking down uh, some of these books in the in the probably what would have been the quarter bins at that point. I can't find a quarter bin now if you paid me. I pretty yeah, much only really. find dollar bins. But, uh, you know, putting these together in the and really enjoying them. What about you, Kirk? I remember being excited about it and I remember enjoying it. But I think for some of these characters, now some of them, I liked them better at Image, and then some of them I would read them and go, I wish they were still at Marvel doing that book that I loved, you know? Sure. But I I was, I think I was more caught up in the excitement and 
looking forward to what they might come up with and thinking maybe this is the next Marvel. You know, maybe, maybe what they're doing is going to last what, what, however long Marvel had been around at that point, 35 years or whatever. Right. Isn't that crazy? We're talking about the, and that's part of why we're covering this today is this is the 30th anniversary of Image, and we're going to be doing a lot of Image throughout the year. Isn't it crazy when you think about that? It's it's already been 30 years, and like you said, at that point, Marvel was basically like 30 something years old. Right. That that. And, that in it's the beginning, I was, I was like, I'm in on the ground floor of something incredible, but then after the first releases and they started having everything canceled and relisted and everything was late. I was like, well, they're not going to survive. They're going to be like all these other publishers that I've loved that have gone away. Right. And, you know, I kind of lost faith in them for a while. Yeah. I, I, I have gone back and read almost everything. I think my one real, what's the, what's the word people use where I don't have the background for anyway. My blank spot, if you will, is uh, I, I haven't read a lot of Cyberforce, at least not the early stuff. I've read some of the, the later on when it was Top Cow was kind of more doing their own thing post Witchblade. But I don't know. I, I really have a fondness for some of these books. And like I said, I wasn't reading them at the time. The only thing I jumped on right away was the Max and the second series of Savage Dragon. I was late to everything else. Um so I, I do have a, a, a big fondness for Dragon, but I think my favorite of those initial offerings, I really, really like those early Shadowhawks. Um, I did too. Yeah, that's that's one of my favorites. All right, Mr. Moore, are you ready to hit us with number two? I'm ready to go, yes, sir. All right, let's roll. All right, so um, issue two, Youngblood. It also has a flip book, uh, which I'll talk about the second half here in a minute, but uh, you can kind of tell a difference between the covers. Um, so we're going to look at the true young blood cover for issue two. It's got a uh, profit uh, front and center on the cover. We're told that the creator, writer, penciler, and anchor is Mr. Rob Liefeld. Color design is by Brian Murray. It was lettered by Kevin Cunningham, Kurt Hathaway, and Diane Valentino. Technical assistance was given by Richard Richard Horry, and the color separations were by Digital Chameleon. And I I think it probably goes without saying that the color separations, probably for all the issues we're talking about, were by Digital Chameleon. So, um, okay, we open with a prologue of uh, looks like what four five pages here. We're introduced to another group. Uh, we don't know necessarily whether they're good or bad, although. One of the members referred to is Kirby, so one would assume that it's a it's a good guy group because I would hate to think that somebody is besmirching besmirching excuse me the uh, name of Mr. Jack Kirby by making him a bad guy. I guess it's possible. I haven't seen it. So um, these are the disciples. Or no, they're not. I'm sorry. They are the the berserkers. berserkers Joe yep. told us about the disciples from the first issue. So now we have another group besides Youngblood, who in this issue, they're the Berserkers, and it is Psystorm, Cross, Battle Axe, Wild Mane, Grey, and uh, the aforementioned Kirby. Not Jack Kirby, just Kirby. But when you see the character, if you've ever seen pictures of Jack Kirby, you know that that's who this is a play on, which I thought was pretty, pretty 
funny. Well, I mean, the, the, the person in the comic book is much more muscled than most of the pictures I've ever seen of Jack Kirby, except maybe, uh, right out of, right, right after he got out of the military in World War II, he might have looked as close to this as he ever did. But the, the typical pictures you see of Jack Kirby, he looks much more older Italian businessman-y than what this Kirby here does in, in the, the book that Rob has drawn for us. But the five of the berserkers that we first see apparently are on a rescue mission to rescue the sixth member, who is Kirby. Uh, when they get to him, though, they find that he is doing okay. And so the six of them then turn their attentions to attack Blackthorn, who is the bad guy here. Um, we then have the main story entitled Prophecy start up where we have our first exposure to Prophet, uh, probably one of the still uh, better remembered creations of Mr. Uh, Liefeld. So much so that didn't you guys say that he's getting a movie or a TV series or something like that? Yeah, I believe that there's a movie that's, in development. That's what the rumor mill is. Yep. Okay. So, and and this is Prophet is kind of a um, Captain America uh, kind Man of out of time. Yeah. Yeah, from, from World War II, um, mm-hmm. and he was. The, the 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 scientist that quote unquote created him was uh, it was uh, occurred during World War Two and he was prophet has been frozen since World War Two and so I mean there's a lot of um, I guess that would be allusions to to Captain America um, and then also the the member of the berserkers that is most attuned to prophet and wanting to help him here later in the story is Kirby. So even more uh, allusions to, I think, Captain America that uh, Rob Rob is doing. And, and if you've listened to his podcast, he talks about both Kirby and Captain America a lot and very highly. So um, if if in his writings and his creations, you you couldn't gather that. By listening to the man talk, you see that he is a huge, huge fan of Captain America from way, way back in his reading history, uh, Rob Liefeld is. But what has happened is that the Youngblood, um, I believe, Joe, you called them Team Youngblood. They're, they're also referred to as the Away Team. Right. Um, they have been dispatched to collect profit. He has been um, unearthed in this laboratory in a suspended animation capsule. Um, so they have gone to, to gather him up like, uh, like, like a package and transport him back to the U S I don't think it really ever says where he is when they find him, but he's not in the U S he's somewhere. I assume, I guess over in Europe somewhere. So, Youngblood is on scene to gather him up and transport Prophet. When they um, open up his his time suspension capsule by uh, Cougar kind of messing with it, um, kind of inadvertently. I don't think he was necessarily – he was fiddling with it. I don't, I don't know exactly what he was thinking he was doing. You can't really tell. If I can find some sort of readout or something, he says. So he's 
but he inadvertently releases Prophet. Prophet um, comes out in a confused stage, as I guess one would if you've been sleeping for uh, 40 or 50 years, I guess. Kind of a what, – what's the dude's name? Rip Van Winkle? Rumble yep. still Rip Van Winkle. Is he? Rip yeah. Van Winkle, yep. Yeah, so um, so he he doesn't know if uh, the young blood people are good guys or bad guys, and before he can really decide that, the typical two opposing good guys fight. That seems to be one of the uh, consistent themes, or I guess the kids nowadays would call them memes in comic books you know be, before anything else happens the the good guys all have to fight and that's how they figure out that they're all good guys while they're beating each other's brains in with right. so okay um so they engage in fighting profit and profit pretty much holds his own against uh two four six six or seven members of the young blood team he doesn't really beat them but they don't really defeat him either so they, you know, they hand off from so everybody gets exposure in the story. They each fight profit either one on one or two on one. And and he pretty much holds his own against everybody until someone pops in and they are a couple first. You have a couple robots drop in. I think they're robots. We never they look find like that robots to me. Inside, yeah. Right? yeah. Um so they they have what was that, Joe? I say they look like robots to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I don't think even during the fight that like they they break them open and anybody crawls out or or anything like that, if I recall. Yeah, I pulled out I pulled out the Joe Casey version since I don't have that issue. So uh, and and it looked like at least in the Joe Casey version they were just getting to move the tube for transport, and that's how they inadvertently opened it because uh, Cougar was like kind of like, hey, uh, let's get it ready for transport, and somehow he accidentally. Uh, makes it come open, but like I say, I don't. They they tweaked it so much between the two editions that it could be different in the initial one too. Yeah, yeah, I, I think he 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 wasn't intending to do anything. It just said he right. was looking like for some sort of readout to make sure, I guess, that he was still asleep and was going to stay asleep while they transported. Right. And of course, it's only been sitting there for fifty years, so all it takes is a little jostling and it opens up, which yep. is kind of weird. But okay, <laughs> right. You know, it's like, well, yeah. Um, so first, these two robots come out, but then the berserkers show up, and I think they're both from the same, um, same place, which they've they've traveled maybe like across dimensions. Um, it's I, I don't think it's a time displacement, or or maybe it is. I, I yeah, I, I guess maybe that's part of the problem is that I can't really tell. So. Um, that doesn't necessarily bother me, but I, I might bother some other people reading it. But the berserkers show up right after these robots show up. The robots are bad guys. Um, for as far as young blood is concerned, the the berserkers are going to turn out to not be bad guys. But at the time, they pop in right after the robots, so they might as well be bad guys because it all happens simultaneously, pretty much. So, um. Youngblood doesn't know that yet, but it looks like a fight is going to ensue, but we can't really tell. There's just a big berserker splash page, and that's it. Now, for the flip book portion, we have the very first appearance 
in two, four, six pages of the character Shadowhawk, which I believe, Kirk, you said you were a particular fan of Shadowhawk, right? Yes. Yeah, he's yeah, he's I'm, probably one of my favorite. Those early stories of his are probably one of my favorites as well. Yeah, I think that was the book I looked forward to the most after reading the first issues. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. This is um, I I liked Shadowhawk particularly at the time because I thought now this is thirty years ago and and I'm not going to address what I think now, but I thought at the time that this is the way that bad guys should be taken care of. Right. Um, you know, if if Batman had done this, his world would have been a lot easier. So. Oh, no doubt. Uh, they they'd have they would have had a much harder time breaking out of Arkham if nothing else. I, yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And and you know, I always kind of wondered too, even then, like I said 30 years ago. Now now that would make me in my early 20s at the time. Um I I always kind of thought that most people that were in this superhero, but the, the, the vigilante mindset that mm-hmm. this is what they would have done. Oh yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, Batman, I think originally probably would have been a lot more violent and then somewhere along the lines, they dropped the gun and they picked up Robin and and he changed, you know, yeah. he was originally much closer to the pulp characters and, and Shadowhawk is very much a, a throwback to a pulp kind of hero in that, you know, he's very, very violent justice. Right. He's he's a, a a modernly nuanced pulp character yeah. for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And you don't nobody really talks too much about the fact that when Batman started that, yeah, he 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 was packing a gun. Right. You know, and that's kind of gotten lost over time. Yeah. yeah kind the, the, of the no what, kill code. But, yeah. It, it's kind of an important part of his character. You right. know, so. All right. So now um, I'm also going to talk about issue three here, which has another uh, flip cover, another image character debuts in the second half. So I'll get that get to that before I finish here as well. Probably another one of Liefeld's more well-known characters, but maybe because of who else he got to write this character more so than. It's a Rob Liefeld creation, and I love the Supreme when, Run with uh, Alan Moore. So good. Uh, yeah, yeah. That's, okay. That's See, one that's, of the yeah. best image books. Yeah. But yeah, the, so so there you go, guys. That's that's who is on the the flip side of this one. This is another uh, six page, and it's the first appearance of first. I think it's the first appearance of Supreme issue three of Young Blood. Maybe not. Yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah, I, I'd have to. Go back and look. He he might have had like an issue out by then, um, because these issues of Young Blood didn't come out month over month when they first started coming out. There was like these first three books came out over like five months or something like that. Now, did everybody's issue come with cards? Because mine has a combat and uh, who is this photon uh, card in the top of it? Yes, yes, I I have those in my issue three. Okay. And in issue two, I had Die Hard and Bedrock. Okay, so that was that. They had the same cards in each one. It wasn't like the New Mutants where you might get something different. Uh, yeah, I guess not because I okay. have. Yeah, every issue I've ever seen. Uh, no, he was 
look, looking it up here on Wikipedia, Supreme was introduced in issue three. So this was his first appearance. Oh, very cool. So, so Rob had uh, first appearances of Shadowhawk and uh, Supreme both in his in his book. That's not bad. Well, yeah, because this is August 92. This is still pretty early on. Right. Okay. So um, we have creator, writer, and penciler Rob Liefeld. Color design, Brian Murray. Lettered by Kurt Hathaway. Technical assistance, Richard Horry. And let's see. We have a new inker, Danny Meeky, who, um, if you listen to his podcast again, uh, he was very big on Danny. Uh, apparently, they're still pretty good friends, too. But he was, yeah, he, he really enjoys Danny's work. And uh, Color Separations, Digital Chameleon again. And I, I don't know that we mentioned this necessarily. It's kind of a, a trivia kind of thing. But these initial books from Image were not um, published by Image. They were published by Malibu. Right. But they had image on them, and actually, right. you, you didn't really see Malibu anywhere unless you looked on the inside front cover a little bit to see that there was a connection there. Um, within the first year or so, I think they they broke from Malibu. Is that right? And, and were doing their own thing completely. Yeah, it, it was within. It was uh, if not the not by ninety three, it was by the end of ninety three. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So even coming out of the gates, or not even, but coming out of the gates, Image wasn't completely ready to do everything. They needed some help, and they got that help uh, for distribution in particular from Malibu Comics. That's kind of a little uh, – again, it's something that you don't hear much about now because Image is what, like front front of previews even over right. Marvel and DC now because they're not even in preview. Well, DC is, but – or. Marvel is. Marvel is. Yeah. Um, well, the the one thing I would say, if if memory serves me, the the story goes that they made so much money from just helping publish Image that that basically, when Image left, that gave them the seed money to start the Ultraverse. If I remember the story right. Oh, okay. And, and, okay. And that's definitely in '93 when that hits. So Dave Ultraverse starts. Dave Olbrich has a YouTube channel, and I don't know how much he's covered on his own channel, but he went into some of that. I believe he was on with Aaron Lopresti talking about their Malibu days. Okay. And basically, he had planned with Rob to do this, and then it it grew from there. And then, like McFarlane was like, "Here's the deal. Now, you know, you publish us now and do this." And they basically had no choice but to take it. And then, yeah, they kind of knew it was a temporary thing almost from the beginning and were planning future things because they're like, well, this isn't going to work. This isn't going to last. They're going to leave us. Right. And then the, that's that's when the Ultraverse comes in is right. when Image went off on their own. Cause they, yeah, they didn't want to compete with them with their own product. Right. And then as soon as Image was like, okay, screw you guys. We're doing everything on our own. Like, okay, well, here's George Perez doing Ultra Force. Right. Okay. All right. All right. Um, opening issue three here, we have a full page, full page of profit. Um, we see that profit now is fighting the robots. So 
one would assume that Prophet is a good guy, and so the robots have to be bad guys. Prophet is doing so because Youngblood has pretty much been taken out, uh, it looks like. And actually, uh, it turns out the Berserkers have been taken out, too. So from, I guess they were kind of beat up from their misunderstanding with Prophet, and then these robots kind of finished the deal off to where uh, Prophet is the last man standing. So word gets back to Youngblood headquarters that they, well, here in a minute it does. But first, uh, we we have a little interaction here between Badrock and Shaft and one of the disciples that they have pinned up here, the uh, the one named Strongarm. We have some verbal back and forth. And as they're leaving, they don't recognize him, but the two members of Youngblood pass I believe Deadlock, although maybe not, because he was one of the originals captured. But another member of the Disciples here is posing as a guard. Right. And... Go ahead. No, I, I was just looking at it. It's, it. it's not too cleverly either. It doesn't seem well, to me. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, and, and I guess that's because they, they get this call that they, they have to go help, so they're not paying too much attention. But, yeah, he's he's in his bad guy uniform with a security guard uniform on over top of it. So, I mean, if you pay any attention to him at all, you can see that something is going on, but Bad Rock and Shaft didn't. I wouldn't expect Bad Rock to catch it necessarily. He's a kid, <laughs> but Shaft, I mean, right. come on. So, um, but yeah, that, that kind of tells you that, well, something is going to happen now with the disciples because somebody is here to break them out. It's, it's a dude in disguise. Well, as much disguise as that is. Um, we then have a cut scene for a couple pages to um, Earth's. Are they? Yeah, they're orbiting Earth. Uh, it's a combined force of the. Uh, what are they? The Catellans, I think, is who combat is. Right. And, and the, the photon people. Yes. What? Whatever race photon is um which they're they're at odds but here they're working together uh and they're looking for combat apparently he's an escaped convict of of some nature so they have tracked him down to earth and again it's it's set up you can assume that in uh, further stories there there's going to be some issue about combat and and whether he's a a bad guy or not and these people in orbit things like that so they're just setting up some later stories press conference here between the uh home team i guess it would be of young blood and in the midst of this they find out that the disciples are escaping so there's some some throwdown with the disciples here that is Violent and somewhat bloodier than most comic books you would see at this time, particularly the comic books where these creators came from recently. Marvel. Um, let's see. We go on and now we are, well, no, fight, 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 fight. Nice full page spread of Die Hard. And that's, that's basically where it stops. So I was, I was, thinking further on into the story than what they do in this issue. So this issue, most of it is just a fight between the Youngblood home team and the disciples who are attempting or 
maybe succeeding to escape here as far as we know in this issue and that it ends with this pretty cool full page spread of uh die hard here very colorful character kind of a a vision android kind of character um i think that we find out later on that he's been around since like world war Two. is yeah. that true yep yeah uh, but that's and, again a little later in the story. Go ahead. And in the and in the Brandon Graham reboot of Prophet, he's well into the future as well. Uh, mm-hmm. Die Hard. Oh. He's he's basically kind of an immortal. Okay. Uh, yeah. I basically, guess being in an android body, I guess. Yeah. You wouldn't yeah. you wouldn't have to limit him if you didn't want to, as far as the character. Real quick question. So this is definitely. Uh, of course, these aren't numbered, unfortunately. Back in the press conference, this is definitely supposed to be Clark Kent, correct? Uh, that's what I have assumed, and I think I have read that that is a, a general assumption, yeah. Is that supposed to be Lois? I I, I guess. I, I don't know of any other prominent female reporter character off the top of my head. Yeah, that haircut just didn't strike me as very Lois, but uh, that definitely has got to be Clark. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, that was fun. I always get excited when you have a, a, a Superman sighting in, in a book. So, you know, Marvel's done it. Image has done it. Uh, it's always a lot of fun when uh, somebody has just kind of like or or Peter Parker, whoever, just when they right. have somebody stand in for a second. So I thought that was really cool. It, it, it'd be interesting. Uh, somebody out there probably has, but it'd be interesting if someone has taken the time to track that and make like some sort of list. Right. Where all those have occurred. Um, and then the uh, flip book on this, as we said earlier, is a six page introduction to Supreme, which Supreme's story is pretty cool. Um, he is a Superman analogy that has spent, um, what, 30 or 40 years in space away from Earth. And has decided to come back to Earth because he wants to come back home. And that's where his story starts, at least this version of his story. Now, I haven't read any of Alan Moore's stuff, so I don't know what what he does with the character. He he has a lot of fun with it. You get a lot of Silver Agey kind of stories, and I don't remember if they have very many Golden Agey type stuff, but it, okay. it definitely delves into the kind of wackiness that would have been going on in the 50s and 60s in the Superman books, that kind of thing. And uh, it's good stuff. All right, Kurt, I I think issue four is yours, sir. Yes. Hold on just a minute. Yeah, I would say if you uh, can find them, they got printed um, by Checker into not really great uh, trade paperbacks. Uh, If you ever run across them, that's a, a really good way to read it easily. Because okay. I don't think I don't think any of this stuff. That's part of why I definitely thought the Young Blood fit our our criteria is because right now you cannot read them digitally legally that I'm aware of. Because I looked on Comicsology, the stuff's not out there. Yeah, no, um, I, I don't. Well, I think I've the Checker collections went out of print, and the last time I saw one, it was probably more expensive to buy that than the than singles collect, than to collect the singles. It's okay, just, wow. It's just the singles are hard to find, but they're right. affordable. You know, relatively ten ten dollars or less usually yeah. when you find them. It's just that that there's something about the trades going out of print and people just lose their dead gun minds. 
But, uh, yeah, so this stuff, for better or for worse, is, is just not out there easily to read unless you go out and pick up the singles or, or the, the handful of trades that have been made. But, um, if you, if you can find it, it's, it's very fun, especially okay. if you have any fondness for those kind of silly Silver Age stories. Uh, right. Alan Moore okay. just really relishes it. It's kind of like the prequel to the 1963 stuff, basically. Ah, okay, yeah. Now the '63 stuff for Image, I, I did enjoy that that series. Yeah, so just imagine him taking that kind of fondness and whimsy and doing DC stories with it, you know? Okay, and that's kind of what you get. Well, cool. Okay, I'll, I'll definitely look those up. All so, right, you, you ready? Number four. Yes. Young Blood number four, cover dated February 1993. We have Liefeld as the creator, writer, penciler and Danny Mickey on inks again. We open up on the Youngblood team approaching the Gate Lab in search of their missing comrades, the Away Team. We get a good double-page spread, which I, I always love these, especially, you know, let's say this is your first issue, and it shows all the characters and it has the little boxes telling their names, and it introduces you to the, as a reader to who each character is. And honestly, I, I kind of flipped back to that a couple of times while I was reading. Going, now, who was that guy? What was that? <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Did the same Rock, thing. Yeah. I mean, this was my first time reading this in 30 years. So I was like, who, who is this? I, I know this guy. Who is he? Bedrock is telling his teammates that he doesn't really want to jump out of the flying ship. And we are reminded that he is actually a kid in a giant monster body. And when he does end up jumping out of the plane, I enjoyed his battle cry of Yabba Dabba Doom, which plays on his bedrock name, which Rob later had to change because of the Flintstones. Right. They crash through a window and are immediately met with resistance, which are some androids. The androids are no match for the first two men in in the building, Die Hard and Bedrock. They meet Prophet for the first time and decide immediately that he is an ally they believe everything which i kind of thought was odd for like hey who's this guy oh let's fight with him so <laughs> they fight alongside prophet to battle some more androids Die Hard activates his super shield aka captain america shield oh yes <laughs> as the battle moves on against the androids Chapel and Shaft arrive as they defeat this latest batch of androids, and Die Hard and Bedrock are sent to investigate some mysterious tunnels as Vogue shows up with the suddenly discovered injured teammate Sentinel. Die Hard and Bedrock meet up with some new villains in the tunnel. Die Hard is down, and, you know, he says he's an android and it's a good idea to send him in, but when he's hit, there's a bloody streak, so apparently there must be some organic components to his body and we see we switch back to the young blood team at the end of the tunnel and we see some figures emerging from the tunnel dark side emerges telling young blood to turn over profit as bedrock now fights on the, his side and it tells me to be continued in brigade number four and that kind of freaked me out because <laughs> I was like, what? I got Young Blood 5 for nothing. And then when I pulled it out of the bag, I was reminded of something I'd forgotten 30 years ago. Was it Brigade 4 and Young Blood 5 are a flip book? Right. And, yeah. and like I, we were talking, I think, before we started recording, 
I am fairly sure I read that this was supposed to be a four issue mini and he just didn't get the story told in the, in, in the four issues for whatever reason, whether he ran out of time or, or he ran out of space. I don't know what, cause it's definitely not a full issues worth of story for young no, blood. Yeah. Well, and you don't really get a full issue of the story in this one because there were four pages of letter pages, yeah. two pages advertising the extreme tour where you get to meet Chapel. I wonder if he was on his motorcycle. I bet he was. We did get a, a nice preview of Dale Keown's pit, which later became one of my favorites. Not yes. so much for the story because I don't remember anything about the story. I was just in awe of the artwork. That art. Dale Keown's art was just, yeah. Is it me, or does that first two pages look like it's straight from Continuity Comics, though? It do, well, that, I made a note that it looked like Neil Adams worked yeah. on it. Yeah, as soon as I popped that out the other day, I was like, man, what is this? Is this continuity? It really yeah, threw I me for a second. I remember it looking like that. I yeah, I didn't either. I all of, of Keown's art, but I didn't remember such an Adams look and feel to it. Yeah, because it's got the, you know, no gutters hardly. Everything's right to the edge, which is, you know, not like Youngblood's done at all. Right. Because, yeah, there's gutters galore. And not that that's a bad thing. That's, it's of the time uh, in the Youngblood book. So, yeah. Well, we, we jump to what I now know is Youngblood number five slash Brigade number four flip book. And we have Rob on the plot, but we have Chap Yap, I'm not sure if I'm saying that right, on pencils, Norm Ratman on inks. And we finally get a, a conclusion to the story where Darkseid and Bedrock face off against Youngblood. Wildmane is the first to attack, and he looks a little little like a little Canadian mutant to me, but uh, <laughs> he, gets, he gets on top of Bedrock, but is quickly thrown off, but he bought enough time for Brahma and Gray to get in position to double punch Bedrock, knocking him out. It is a hollow victory as they see Prophet is defeated by Darkthorn. Darkthorn then reopens the tunnels where winged demons emerge. And this is where I kind of felt cheated because it tells us about them defeating the demons, but it doesn't really show it. It's one page of the team just kind of blasting and punching in different directions, and it just looks like a poster image. Right. And the other members are falling before the power of Darkthorn. Down goes Cougar and Brahma and what remains of the Berserkers. And then Sentinel. As Photon and Darkthorn battle, we see Sci-Fire try to convince Riptide and Vogue to free him from his restraints. The ladies do end up freeing him, and Sci-Fire attacks Darkthorn. Darkthorn then decides to retreat, vowing to defeat him in the future. As the tunnel closes, a battered diehard pops back out. Bedrock is conscious and has no memory of his betrayal. We close with Bedrock asking, who's going to clean up this mess? <laughs> and that's it. And that's it. I, yeah. I kind of felt a little disappointed in the ending because I didn't get I didn't get Liefeld art, which if you're you know, buying young blood, that's kinda especially in nineteen ninety two or nineteen ninety three. Yeah, that's what you're expecting. That's what you're wanting. Right. Yeah. It's it's a weird issue, you know? Um and, it the, is. and especially if you're gonna pick up Brigade for the first time, 
uh, and, and, and I'm not really interested necessarily in talking into it, but the brigade issue, uh, and maybe you're an image head at this point and you're buying everything, but the brigade is the finale of their miniseries. So if you haven't read anything of theirs, it's not a good place for you to start reading brigade. Well, and I read it and you go into the story and it's not only brigade number four, but it's brigade number zero in the middle of it. <laughs> I was like, what? I didn't realize that. <laughs> what is this comic book? That explains why I was so confused when I was going through it the other day. Then. <laughs> I was, you know, I was excited reading number four and some of the memories of the, you know, the launch of Image are coming back. And then I get to number five and go, I think this might have been when I started going, eh, maybe they're not going to be the next Marvel. I, I, I think one cool thing uh, with his character designs, and, you know, everybody's like, well, this is this and this is that. But, like, I, I think some of the stuff he draws from is maybe stuff that people don't always, you know, think of. You know, we just covered elementals. So the first thing, you know, I, I think people think of when they think of bedrock is or bad rock is the thing. I right. think of the elementals. Right. It's much closer to that. Kid. Yeah, it's much closer to that. And then um we we know because of uh Rob's podcast what a huge fan he was of oh, I can't think of the guy's name right now. I was hoping by the time I got to these words I would remember. The guy who did Futurians Dave and Cochran. Dave Cockrum. We know that he's a huge Dave Cockrum fan and and like some of the design work, you know, like for the photon reminds me, you know, not I don't think Firestorm just because there's a flaming head. I think of like the Futurian artwork and some of the stuff that Cockrum did then. So I really like some of the design work that he's pulling from when he's creating these characters. Because, yeah, you could say Shaft is Hawkeye, but Shaft doesn't feel like Hawkeye when you read Shaft. You know? No, right. No. And, and, and Chapel I don't know who the bleep was like Chapel in 1992, other than the gun and the bike. I don't know that there was a character like him that we were reading. Uh, he was basically the Shaft meets the Punisher meets, I don't know. You know, he was totally original. And the, the, the voodoo paint, the only thing I'd ever seen that kind of thing on was, uh, what was the guy's name? Papa Shango in WWF at the time. You know, I'd never seen a character like him. Ah, ah, ah. okay. Deep cut. Yeah, you, you know what I mean? I just, I think he really gets ripped on, and I'm not saying Rob's perfect, I'm not saying I like everything he's done, but I think some of the things he's drawing from, he feels like the kid playing in the toy box, you know? And, and I really and, like that about it. And, you know, think think about that, because this is 92 and 93, What was Rob even 20 yet? I don't know. I, if, if he was, he, just, yeah, he would have been a little bit in his early twenties because he's just a little bit older than me. Okay, you know, yeah. So I, I mean, I would have been around twenty, so he probably would have been twenty-two, twenty-three. Oh, essentially, then he was still a kid. Yeah, he was born you know? in sixty-seven. So okay, yeah. So and and you know that's we we talked about this or I, I talked about this before. That's one of the things that I enjoyed the most was. Here is somebody having fun doing what he's doing. Right. Right. Yeah. And I really like that about it. It, And I don't know that I would have caught some of this like stuff like, oh, this feels very elementals to me. This doesn't seem, you know, everybody goes, oh, it's X-Men. Oh, it's Avengers. And I'm like, no, man, this is like he's got his 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 fingers in some, 
indie type heroes going on here. This yes. is deep cuts. This is not what you think it is. This is not Iceman. This is Fathom. You know. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 And I really like that about it because like he's pulling he's pulling from other other sources than what people typically think of, and I really appreciated that, especially this reread being doing so close to us just doing Elementals and Justice Machine. Right. Well. Yeah, I don't know now, if I would have remembered Tommy had we not discovered him. But, oh, totally. But since I'm reading it again and they made the point that Bedrock was a kid, I was like, oh, well, that's Tommy oh. from the Elementals. There you go. Yeah, Tommy Zucra, Fathom. Yeah, you, you definitely see much more analogies there than some of the Marvel and DC stuff that a lot of people say that that's what he's pulling from. Right. I think people have want to simplify things. You know, you have a big strong oh, they do. Either, either the Hulk or the thing. Well, yeah, and I think uh, what's his name, Brahma, is much more clearly like somebody like Mammoth, you know, from Teen Titans. Because we also know that Rob was a huge Titans fan. Right. So when I, right. when I see Brahma, I don't think Juggernaut. I think that's I think that's Mammoth. Joe, you you had another book you wanted to talk about, didn't you? I do. We're going to really quickly knock out number zero. It's one of those funny ones. We had debated doing it at the front, and then, you know, well, will we do it in publication order? And if we actually did it in publication order, I think it would have even been more confusing because from what Kirk was just telling us, I think it actually got published one, two, three, Zero four five. If I if I was doing my, my my math correct when he was reading off his cover dates, but zero issues were starting to become a thing. Um, I don't remember exactly when zero year hit. I want to think it was more closer to ninety four. So this may have been one of the earlier zeros because uh, when zero hour came, I know that that was when they were trying to clean up their mess over at DC, and that was kind of like a soft reboot for all their characters. But this is probably one of the first zeros I ever remember. And this one is going to be written by Rob. It's going to be uh, penciled and created by him as well. Uh, but we also have uh, Dan Fraga doing some of the pencil work on it. Danny Meeky again on inks. Brian Murray color design. Kurt Hathaway on lettering. Technical assistant Richard Ory. Once again, digital chameleon on the color separations. Still put out by Malibu and edited by Eric Stevenson. So we've got a situation, and they've got to call a team in. We've got the kind of Oval Office-looking fellas sitting around saying, there's bad stuff going down. What Youngblood units are available? And unfortunately, the only Youngblood available unit is the one run by Colonel Stone, and they are not happy about that, but that's what they've got, so let's send them in. Colonel Stone's unit is going to be Riptide, Chapel, Die Hard, and I believe his name is Bloodstone. He's the fellow that goes on to found, I want to say, either Bloodstrike or, or Brigade. Bloodstrike and Brigade are kind of tied together. I haven't read them in a while, but one of them is basically a spinoff of the other. The brothers lead them. Okay, there we go. And he's basically, if I remember it right, a zombie. Uh, I don't know if he's a zombie at this point because this is predating everything, but he, he is undead. Um, and you can tell that because his pallor is always kind of yellowish. Mm-hmm. So uh, he, he's got a little bit of ghoulishness about him. And he's got this little kind of skull in the center of his forehead. Looks almost like he's got a fancy barrette or something. But no, it's a, it's a little mini skull. So they're sent in to take care of business. 
We've got Chapel, who's the cold-blooded killer for hire, Die Hard, the genetic Superman. And they are taking everybody out, and they run into this fella. And I believe this is supposed to be Kirby, because uh, he sure looks like the Kirby from earlier. Uh, imagine something from the Howling Commandos with a uh, crew cut and uh, short white hair and stogie. So they're going into a tunnel. They're going to get the job done. And uh, Bloodstone is up above. They're setting up some bombs. They figure out, okay, they're blowing up things. We've got to get in there after them. And they've got this one fella. I don't know who he's supposed to be. He uh, he's It's one of the weirdest looking little masks he's got on <laughs> I've ever seen. It's almost like a... Imagine if they took just the frame off a of scuba gear, took the rubber part off, and just slapped that little piece of metal around on your face. It's, it's weird looking. It doesn't matter. He gets killed in the next page, so I don't know why I spent so much time on him. He's dead. And it upsets Die Hard. He screams, no! And you got a nice big splash of him and Bloodstone all pissed off. They are getting into it. They're fighting each other. They should be doing the job, taking care of business, but they can't keep it together long enough to even finish the mission. So we end up, Bloodstone is uh, in shackles, taken before the people who had sent him on this mission, and, you know, he's not going to be able to run Youngblood. He's just too much of a wild card. So... We see Sentinel talking to Shaft, talking to Cougar. They're walking down uh, a hallway. Shaft is like, why have I got to wear these spandex? And Cougar's like, well, it's all about what we look like. And that goes to what we were talking about earlier. Like, this is one of those teams that is really made for their image and, and being celebrities as well as superheroes. So the next page we go to dun, 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 Youngblood. And we're going to get an introduce, uh, introduction to everybody. And uh, Chapel, of course, is sitting on his bike because that's what they always have him do. Uh, my favorite is Bedrock is reading an issue of Wizard. Yes. <laughs> I, it, this had to have been fairly early on into Wizard's run because we're talking 92, just not even a full year of Image Comics. And uh it's already getting advertised twice, at least, in this issue. And actually, I think Cougar name drops him as well. So we've got Vogue. She is an ex-Russian gymnast, expert in martial arts and hand-to-hand combat. And she is a player as well as a looker. So I don't I, – I was going to ask you guys earlier, what is the deal with Vogue? Is she just supposed to be like a Black Widow-type character if we're trying to just make it as simple as possible? I think so, yeah. Okay. Uh, then we've got Die Hard. We've got Bedrock. And, you know, he's reading his wizard. Hey, what's up? Combat. He's the Catellan fugitive. And that, you know, could be why they were trying to capture him earlier. We've got a former operative who also happened to kill Al Simmons. Oops, spoilers. Chapel. I wonder if they regret that, you know, because that has to have been a pain, the fact that uh, once they kicked Youngblood out of the Image universe and they're trying to keep Spawn Together, I wonder if they regretted the fact that they kind of uh, use Chapel so heavily in Spawn. But I don't know. I have to ask Todd once we're big enough to invite people onto the the show. Uh, and lastly, we have Link, which, as we said earlier, I'm pretty sure it's the sci-fi character from earlier because he says he's a telepath and telekinesis uh, are his abilities. And basically, 
This is the team. Um, Cougar says, man, we're going to be in People, Us, and The Wizard. I love that they didn't call it Wizard Magazine. They called it The Wizard, which, I don't know, that just sounds weird. And they all pose for a picture, cheese, and that's your team. Vogue, Chapel, Shaft, Die Hard, Combat, Bedrock, and Sci-Fire. And it says on the bottom, that is the beginning. So basically, this team was created because Bloodstone messed up. And finally, go, guy. <laughs> and then finally enough, the next thing is a, an, a big ad for uh, uh, Bloodstrike done by Dan Frega. And the very last page, and I was, I'm saving this especially for last because I think this is cool, and this is gonna this is gonna bring in collecting questions too. So you've got one of those coupons that you have to return to American Entertainment. Uh, in care of Image Comic Zero, and you have to get the coupons from Brigade Number Two, Savage Dragon Three, Spawn Four, Young Blood Zero, Cyberforce One, Shadowhawk One, Wildcats Two, and you have to remove all the coupons. You can't photocopy this; you have to remove them, and then you send them off for Image Comic Zero, or you can do like yeah, I did and wait like 25 years and pull it out of a dollar box. I think that would be the easier solution if you're willing to wait that long. But the question I've got is, did you guys do this sort of thing, and did you care about the fact that it is, quote-unquote, damaging the value of the book? Kirk? Well, I don't, remem- I don't remember doing it with Image, but I remember Valiant offering a yep. similar promotion. And in the beginning, I was like, I'm not buying two copies. I'll have a copy without the coupon. Okay. And then about halfway through, I was like, no, I can't do it. I've got to buy two. And then I'll <laughs> mail in, then I'll mail in one. And then I decided I can't mail, I can't tear these out. And then I ended up, I was, I'll just buy it at a comic convention or something. And so I ended up with two copies of some of the early Valiant books, which actually was a good idea at one point. Especially some of those Harbingers. Yeah. Yeah. But I kept changing my strategy because I was, <laughs> And ended up with nothing. You know, <laughs> that's the story of my life. Make a plan, change the plan, and then screw yourself. Ed, what about you? Uh, I I was not going to tear up my my comic books. So okay. if I if I got one of everything, uh, that was cool. This thing that I had to send off for, well, I guess I won't be getting one of those. So okay, so. Here's another – these will be fun collecting questions before we if we end out the episode. So, all right, here's another one for you. When S- Superman 75 came out, did you get a bagged version? And did you open the bagged version? Or did you get two bagged versions like I did and open one of the bagged versions? Kirk? Okay. Yeah, Kirk, Kirk go ahead. I know that I bought a bagged one to put away. Okay. I don't, I don't remember. I want to. Did they offer an unbagged version? Because I yeah, because I have the newsstand edition as well. Okay. I have I three think, copies. I of think it I must have bought a different version to read, and then bought okay. the bagged and left it bagged. Okay. Yeah, because I bought the newsstand one and the bagged one. I because I was curious. I wanted to know what was in the bagged one. Um. So yeah, I I had three of them at one point. I think I'm just down to the sealed bag and the newsstand one. What about you, Ed? Um, for that, I bought two bags because I wanted to know what was in the bag too. Yeah, I did the same thing. 
Okay. Didn't, didn't you get an armband like to wear to the funeral or something? Yes. Yes. Yeah, a trading card. Um, you got uh, the front page to the planet, and I want to say maybe a poster as well, something like that. I can't remember, but yeah, you got a ton of a ton of a ton of gimmies, and the cover was actually really cool because it it was made to look up like the gravestone. Mm-hmm. So, um, so then the other thing when you buy a back issue now. And you want to read, say, a tops issue from that era and it's still sealed. Do you feel, do you feel that you have to leave it sealed or you do, do you go ahead and open it? I will open it. Me but too. I, if the bag has things printed on it, I will mm-hmm. keep the bag with okay. the book. Okay. If it's just a plain poly bag and that goes in recycling. Fair enough. Okay, Ed. It, it, it depends. If it's something that I want to read, then I will, if I can't find it and already opened, then I'll open it. But if okay. it's, you know, if I am buying it to, to truly collect it, then of course I, I keep it closed, which I, I don't have very many of those. Um, okay. One or two things I have ever bought because of course I'm going to turn it over and send my kids to college. But, um, <laughs> right. Uh, well, well, recently I've been trying to get all the Mike Mignola uh, Draculas, um, and what I finally did, I bit the bullet and bought a couple of bagged ones. I tried okay. to buy the used ones that are no longer bagged, so I don't have that dilemma. Because I'm, for the most part, when I buy stuff, it's to read. Um, right. Yeah. 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 And so I try to, so I'm not destroying something. I do try to, in general, just go ahead and order um, uh, the either the already opened bag, which I've gotten before. Or the the one that doesn't have the bag anymore. Period. Uh, I ran into that today, and is why I wanted to ask before you came up to the show. I, one of my brigades I got from my comic shop. Surprisingly, it didn't say it was a bag one, but actually still had the bag intact. I was like, dang it, I'm gonna have to open this to read it. And so yeah, I <laughs> I went ahead and, and I opened it, and um, I, I felt a little little bad about it, and. And then that's the final part of the question. You know, Marvel for years has been doing the free digital issues. And I've been a big supporter of this because that was, to me, a way to offset the price being at initially higher than DC's books was, okay, I'm basically getting the digital copy, which means I can take it with me. Um, it's one I can give to the kids easily via my tablet or what have you. This was before, you know, I was subscribing to Marvel Unlimited for the kids and myself. And did you, uh, did, I, I don't think Kurt does it because he doesn't do digital. So I'm not worried about does he peel his codes off. Uh, <laughs> Ed, do you do digital at all? Um, I, I do, but I, I don't do day and date digital. Okay. So when you got Marvel books, did you use the, the digital codes or did you say, oh, I've got the book, that's good enough, and just leave I, the codes intact? Yeah, I just left the codes intact because, okay. uh, like you said earlier, Ninety nine percent of the books that I buy, I buy to read. Right. And so if I can do that, then, you know, that's what I'm after. Um, now, I will say, I think that the uh, current position on that is Marvel really doesn't seem to want you to use their digital codes. They've they've made it much more difficult now. Yeah. yeah. What they're doing now is you have to take a picture of the book, uh, email them and pick the book, and then they email you back a code. 
is yeah. what they're doing now. But, so, but the nice thing is, is now I don't have the, oh, I'm damaging a book anymore. You know, I'm taking a, a right. near mint book down to a, to a fine or a VG just by pulling this little black tag off, which, right. you know, right. I did for years because like I said, my kid wanted to read Venom Space Knight. Well, I'm not letting him hold my Venom Space Knight as a six year old. So <laughs> we, we would download the digital copy and we'd read it on the tablet. Right. So, yeah, uh, I'm glad they're doing it. But, yeah, it does make an extra hoop for you have to jump through because the other thing is those old codes, they would be for like over a year. And the codes now they expire within the month. So like the ones I just got from uh, DCBS or my comic shop or wherever I get books from. And that's a whole nother story. If we ever do a COVID episode, I'll tell you why Joe Crawford orders from three different uh, pre-order companies. <laughs> Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. But, um, <laughs> the, Let's uh, do it. <laughs> right? We'll, we'll talk about COVID story. someday. Um, anyhow, so yeah, you've only got till February 1st to get all those in. So today I had, cause what I had been doing as I read them, I process them. As I read them, I process them. I was like, well, crap, that's only two days. I still got a stack to go. I just went from flip through them real quick today just to, to get those processed so I can get my digital copies in before, uh, that's no longer viable because, uh, I don't know if we've talked about this, uh, on before Kirk, but I know I've mentioned it to, uh, uh, Mike on, either on Twitter or on the show that you think that everything that they have is going to be available on Marvel unlimited, but that's actually not the case. I don't know if it's because something with um, Robert Howard uh, estate or what, but the Conan stuff is not available on the Marvel unlimited app. Uh, pretty much everything star Wars is aliens is not at this point, but uh, all this. All, so like, if you want to read the, Conan digitally, you either have to go to Comixology and specially buy it, or you have to put in those codes. So I don't know if it's something going on with with licensing or some agreement with Dark Horse. Like, okay, you got to give us so long for us to be able to keep using the the books on our website or, or app or whatever Dark Horse has. Because I know at one point Dark Horse was kind of their own entity before they hooked up with Comixology. Right. So, um, cause I actually had, oh God, like four accounts at one point. Cause I think I had a dynamite account, which eventually merged with dark horse. And then I had a comiXology account and then I had a Marvel account and yada, yada, yada. It was at one point it was, you know, a bunch of different platforms for books. And now it's pretty much just, uh, comiXology and the two bigs, but that sounds crazy to me because the whole point of the digital is to have everything there and it's right. Simple. And then yep. if you, everything's not there and it's not simple, I'm just going to stick with my physical comics as long as I can. Well, it's still, you know, I don't want to be a shill for the digital stuff, but it, it you know, I, I, if you're a manga person, you can't beat the Shonen Jump one because it's like two bucks for a month. I it, that comes out, and I don't even. I mean, that's cheaper than the the proverbial cup of coffee from Starbucks. But uh, we've we have let the boys go ahead and do a year's worth of Marvel, and it's it's a way to get them to read. So I'm all I'm all for it, but. Anyhow, right. Well, yeah, if my kids were wanting to read it, that would be a different thing. But this is all just for me because nobody else cares. And my kids can get Savage uh, Avengers from dad's library. So I, I bring home <laughs> Savage Avengers for them to read and trade. <laughs> they, haven't, they haven't asked for Conan yet. So if they ever do, we'll have to we'll have to deal with that bridge when we get there. But 
Anyway, any final thoughts on Rob Liefeld and Youngblood other than I hope that we get to see these characters again soon because I really have a fondness for, for Bedrock and Die Hard and, and, and even Shaft and, and, and Chapel. I would like to see all the, everybody back again at some point. Uh, you, you can say what you want about Rob Liefeld at, at this point in his career. But in the first three issues of this series, just this series, he introduced between 30 to 35 brand new characters. Right. Just in those three. That is that is creativity that that other people take years to do or at least years to release. You know, maybe they have notes in their study somewhere of, of characters or or story ideas or whatever. But. You know, this at at this time in his career, he was one of the most creative people, potentially on par with the likes of these people that created Marvel Comics uh, back in the 60s. Uh, Well, yeah, uh, you know, my my son was just talking about the fact that uh, he he was reading uh, Spider-Man and the fact that, you know, those first handful of issues, probably less than half a dozen You've already got all the main Sinister Six right there. Exactly. Stan Lee was just and that, you know, that's well known and accepted and everybody, you know, bows at at the at the 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 throne of Stan Lee, not trying to say whether he does or doesn't deserve it or whatever. I think he does. But that's another another conversation. Rob Liefeld. This is just one book. Right. Okay. Um. Also in this book, though, we have seen Brigade and Bloodstrike that he did. And I want to say there's another book. Uh, well, Supreme, he created Supreme. Right. Uh, but just, and Prophet. And Prophet's going to get its own yeah, book. So yeah. th- those first couple years when he was still in Images good, good on their good side, he was as creative as anybody for any comic company has ever been as far as characters. Uh, how good the characters were, whatever. Again, another conversation. But And but that's, that's a taste matter, too, you know. Oh, yeah, I, yeah, whatever people think, I like Troll. I thought Troll was a lot of oh, fun. Oh, yeah, a Troll's you another know? one. Yeah, he's not. Yeah, so, I mean, you know, just on par right. in his way, on par with what Stan Lee did. Um, after the start of Fantastic Four for Marvel, just awesomely, awesomely creative as far as characters and, and settings and places and things like that, that still image still is using a lot of these characters now. Yeah, I, I, I just really hope that in this year, especially, I think I maybe not in the next previews, but coming soon. I saw that Profit is supposed to get relaunched this year as a comic. Um, and, you know, fingers crossed, maybe we can have another Bowers and uh, run of Youngblood or something. Because uh, I don't know if you guys read that, but that was that book was pretty, pretty good. The one uh, Chad did a few years ago. Kirk, any I, wrapping I up summations? Pardon? Anything to wrap up about Youngblood? No, I enjoyed. Well, I enjoyed revisiting four. Five was a five was a little little less enjoyable. Sure, yeah, I get that. I I I feel the same way. I when I was reading it, um, 
I don't think I'd ever read issue zero before. I really got a kick out of it and how they were tying in the, the backstory and how they created the, the, the universe. But yeah, five was just people complain about, uh, decompression and, and for a lot of this series, this series, as if it, you judge it as a mini, I know it did run like, uh, I think through issue nine before it got rebooted or something like that. Um, there was a little bit of decompression, but boy, that last uh, handful of pages for number five was super condensed, almost too much so. Yeah, that's yeah. that's how I felt. Yeah, so not perfect, but we're off to a we're but off to a start, fun. and that's yeah. why that's why you read something like Young Blood is for the fun. I'm not I'm not looking for it to be a ground breaking book. I'm not looking for a social analogy and the tense political thriller i'm just looking to be entertained for a few a few minutes while i read a comic book yeah i yep. think i think that got achieved and for the most part you can pick these up cheap um i don't know that that uh hardcover that i was talking about earlier is is, is readily available but uh with exception of the profit issue which is number two i think i picked up uh zero one three four five for you know under two bucks an issue. So you can pretty much get the bulk of this pretty cheap. Uh, and, uh, if you're lucky, maybe you run across the dollar bin and, and, and find uh, that number two. So I think that they're worth seeking out. They're a lot of fun. Uh, and you know, give it a, give it a shot, set your biases aside and big boobed Captain America that everybody wants to nail <laughs> Rob to. Let's let's look at the work and, and see what you think of it and try to go in open minded and maybe you'll have fun. Maybe you won't. I don't know. I enjoyed it. So anyway, let's call that a night. Kirk, where can we reach you, sir? I am at Big Five Army on the Twitter and the Instagram. <laughs> and Ed, what have you got cooking these days uh podcast wise? Uh podcast wise actually it's it's Funny you should say that. Um, this month, January I, uh, of, of this year, I restarted several podcasts that had um, quasi-faded. Um, uh, a Thor podcast, a Lords of Order podcast, the Ronan Rabbit podcast, and I started a new one where I'm talking about just whatever I want to talk about. Um, all of those are releasing one a week. I, I alternate through them. Okay. Um, and all of those you can find on Teal Productions on Twitter. That's where you can find me, and that's where I post when episodes are released. So my my fingers are all over the comic book podcasting stew right now. And is Terry still doing Thor with you? Yes, she is. And and we also do a, a podcast that we call Dance Fever that's about dance competition shows like uh, Dancing with the Stars. But there's nothing like that going right now, so that's kind of on the shelf until some other shows start up. Well, I, I, I will say as a fan, I have thoroughly enjoyed your guys' work on Thorcast. And, Thank you. And if you love Dr. Fate, he was one of my favorite superpowers figures as a little boy. You can't beat Lords of Order. And, of course, Usagi Ojimbo, you've got to listen to Ronin Rabbit. That's probably – Probably my favorite of the three, but that's probably also because it's probably my favorite character of the three. And I think you have a soft spot for him in it. Shows. Yes, ab- absolutely. That's uh, I I I trumpet Usagi whenever and wherever I can. Yeah, he's he's probably my number one favorite comic book character. 
Yeah, it it shows. You, you there's a lot of love in those episodes. Thank you. Uh, you can find me. I'm at I was Joe on Twitter. The show 21st Century Boys that is the host of this canceled comics cavalcade is on Twitter as well. It's two one s t c e n boys. You can reach us there. Uh, right now we are still doing the 21st Century Boys. Jack and I. I'm I'm not saying I'm on a, a hiatus from reading graphic novels, but I have not had the time to read as many as I had used to. But if you check that out, that's still going to be Jack talking about the graphic novels he's reading. And what I'm kind of doing is just giving a deep dive on well, the last couple of times it's been Marvel Tales. But, you know, I, on some of single issues that I've read that's got a little more heft to them. I usually tend to stay away from the newer ones because they're quicker reads, but I try to pull out a handful of old issues and talk about the ones that I've read recently. Uh, and then the other show that um I kind of skipped this uh, last go around. I should have given you guys one last week and I apologize. And that's black and white brunch. And on that show, we try to cover either an indie book from the black and white boom or at some point, I'm actually going to pull down one of these mini showcases and essentials that have been staring ah, at me for all these years. Yes. And, and uh, do a couple of issues from those uh, on the black, black and White Brunch. The promise from that show is that whatever I'm reading, it's going to be in black and white. I can't cheat and do it in color. If we come up with that, it'll have to be a different show title. <laughs> so anyway, we'll be seeing you guys uh, in a couple of months with another Cancel Comics Calvacast. And next month, we're going to have, uh, in the rotating spot, we're going to have one of the Christian and Kirk and Jack episodes where we're going to be focusing on image. And I'll go ahead and announce it. The, the plan right now is to do image, image X month next month. So we'll be doing that next. So I want to thank Ed and uh, Kirk for coming in tonight. Thank you guys. Yes, sir. And I appreciate uh, you having me. Well, I'm happy to talk comics anytime I get to. So you guys have a wonderful evening, and thank you, everybody, for listening.